Welcome to TWW, The Weekly Wheel, where each week the Dharma Wheel rolls and delivers you new content available anywhere at any time in your everyday life. We present a mindfulness service, which has three components. First, meditation. And then we meditate with sound through chanting. You can have your mind wander when you sit in silence, but it's very difficult to wander as you chant. You need to focus on the next character, on your breathing, on the next line. And if you pat yourself on the back too much or become too self-aware, you'll miss a line. And then lastly, we have something called active listening, where we lean into and really listen to the Dharma talk given by our senseis. You could think of silent meditation and sound meditation through chanting as preparatory to get our minds focused and open and clear so we can really listen clearly and really take in the Dharma. And in a sense, it perfumes the mind. The mind is slowly changed as it hears new points of view, new perspectives, and new approaches to dealing with life. It's set up much like an in-person service. It's led, moderated by multiple voices. So you get a variety of opinions, a variety of, of perspectives as you go on your journey. So I hope you will join us now for this mindfulness service presented to you by the people at The Weekly Wheel and the Orange County Buddhist Church. Thank you so much. We will now have seated meditation. Take a moment to see that your back is straight and centered with your shoulders relaxed. If you're in a chair, it's best to sit forward slightly rather than leaning on the chair back and keep your feet flat on the floor. Try keeping your eyes half open, resting the gaze gently downward, without focusing on anything in particular. In the same way, be open to whatever sounds are coming into your ears, whether from inside the room or outdoors. We are not trying to isolate ourselves from the world around us, but rather feel that we're part of that world. If you like, you may count your breaths from one to ten. Inhale deeply, let it all out. Try slowing down your rate of breathing relative to what it would be at other times. We are not trying to think about anything in particular or visualize anything. We simply watch our thoughts come and go.
Please put your hands together in gasho. Bow. Namo Amidabutsu. Namo Amidabutsu. Namo Amidabutsu. Namandabutsu. 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 You may stretch your legs and then please stand. We will now have our standing meditation session. Your upper body is in the same position as for sitting meditation. Straight head and spine, shoulders back, eyes half open, hands comfortably positioned in front. Legs should be shoulder width apart with knees slightly bent. Again, rock forward and backward and side to side to find your center. Standing meditation reminds us to take our meditation practice out into the world, waiting in line at the store, being stuck in traffic, going through TSA security at the airport. Over time, meditation becomes a practice for the body and mind that can be recalled when needed most in situations that may be merely annoying, perhaps frustrating, or even stressful. We will begin at the sound of the bell.
Please put your hands together in gasho and bow. Namo Amida Butz, Namo Amida Butz, Namo Amida Butz, Namo Amida Butz, Namo Amida Butz. All right, this completes our standing meditation. Please return to your seats and we'll prepare for our second seated meditation. Again, uh, posture's the same. Uh, try to have a nice straight back, shoulders relaxed, um, eyes half open, half closed, uh, breathing down into your stomach using your diaphragm. Um, place your hands uh, in front of your lower abdomen and we will begin our second seated meditation at the sound of the bell.
please join me in God's show. Naman doubts, naman doubts, naman doubts, naman doubts, naman doubts. We will now have sutra chanting. A sutra is a sacred scripture from Buddhism. These originated long ago in India and in China. The text that we chant is actually Chinese, a translation from Sanskrit originals. Is it necessary to understand the meaning of what we're chanting? Of course, not at the outset. We don't know anything about it when we first begin. But I believe that we should aim to understand what the sutra is teaching us. We should have a basic awareness of its content. These are the teachings of our Shin Buddhist tradition, after all. For that reason, we provide in the Shin Buddhist service book some pages of explanation and some English translations. What we experience by chanting, I would say, has three aspects. The first aspect is meditative, like sitting or standing or breathing. Chanting forces us to focus our attention on the present moment, and it helps to calm our minds. Second, there is a ritual aspect. We are reenacting something that's taken place countless times over the centuries. We are connecting with the many followers of our Buddhist tradition, who have chanted these same words, and we are gaining a sense of oneness with the other people who are chanting at this time, perhaps listening to this podcast. Third, there is a learning aspect. This is to gain a little bit of knowledge of what the meaning of the characters that we chant are, and we do that separately, I would say, from actual chanting. Today's chanting will be the Sambutsuge. We often chant the Sambutsuge in Shin Buddhist services. These verses are from the larger Sutra of Immeasurable Life, which was composed in India during the first century of the Common Era and translated into Chinese around 400 of the Common Era. It is a cornerstone text for Pure Land Buddhism in China and Japan. Shinran Shonin esteemed the larger Sutra above all other teachings and he devoted his life to its propagation. We will begin chanting it now. Oh, 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 oh,
Please put your hands together in Gasho and bow. Namo Amidabuts, Namo Amidabuts, Namo Amidabuts, Namo Amidabuts, Namo Amidabuts. Let me share with you now an excerpt from the audiobook edition of Awaken to Your True Self by Hideo Yonezawa. Chapter 6 People Who Live with Shinjin. Inui Takinami Inui Takinami died of intestinal tuberculosis in 1950. 
At that time, she was a bright and beautiful woman, 28 years of age. In July of 1945, the city of Fukui was damaged in the war. At that time, the farming village that Inui lived in was spared damage. But in 1948, there was an earthquake which destroyed her home. She was living with her elderly father and younger brother at the time. Inui would travel the one-hour distance from Fukui to Katsuyama by train to purchase lumber to rebuild their home, and also to supervise the carpenters during the construction. When she was young, her elementary school grades were excellent, and her teachers encouraged her to go on to a women's high school. She must have had such a desire, but since times were hard for farmers back then, she sacrificed herself by going to work at the village post office so that her younger brother could attend an agricultural school. Being very bright, she soon memorized all of the postal regulations to the extent that if anyone did not know something, the person would go and ask her. She was also very adept at the abacus, so adept that she won a competition held in Kanazawa. These are all things she told me on my last visit to see her. I first met her when she came down with tuberculosis, and I was asked to be her doctor. I would make house calls to her home by bicycle some five miles away from the city of Fukui. I am sure that today she would have recovered from her illness, but at that time, shortly after the war, although the occupation forces had antibiotics, it was not possible for her to receive them. Even now I think of what a shame it was that such an intelligent and beautiful woman had to die. There is nothing more painful for a doctor than to care for a patient who cannot be cured. One day, when her condition was especially bad, she asked me if she would be cured of her illness. I told her very honestly that there was unfortunately nothing I could do to cure her, and that I was very sorry. She then asked whether she would die that day or the next, which surprised me. Most people would ask if they had a year or two left. When I asked her why she questioned me in that manner, she said that from the time she was small, her parents had brought her to the temple to listen to the Jodo Shinshu teachings. However, in the face of death, the future looked dark and bleak, and she realized that all of the listening to the teachings that she had done hadn't amounted to anything. Therefore, she was going to listen to the teachings anew. I encouraged her to do so, and she then said, Unless we human beings have our backs to the wall, we will not listen to the teachings. Because we feel that we will continue to live in the future, we do not listen earnestly. I then agreed to inform her when her illness had progressed to the point where death was certain, and at that time she would listen to the teachings. She then asked me, Sensei, when you die, where do you think you go? I answered, When I die, I simply return to the world from which I came before I was born. She said that my answer was not serious enough and reflected the fact that I was healthy. Two days later, when I went to see her, she had a very bright face. She said that she didn't have to listen to the teachings. When I asked her why, she replied that it was because she now understood that she was embraced within the arms of her parent, Oyasama, the Buddha. I responded, Is that so? and rejoiced with her. 
There is no essential difference between what I said about returning to the world before I was born and being embraced within the arms of her parent. Even now I believe that human existence is to live the life that has been given to us from the pure land, and that when our ties to this world end, we return to that original pure land. In the olden days that pure land was often expressed as to be embraced within the arms of one's parent. When she realized that she was embraced within the arms of her parent, at that moment she transcended the duality of life and death. Other things that she related to me were also very surprising to hear. When Inui went to work at the local post office, her mother forbade her to read books. Her desire to learn, however, was so intense that she could not stop. At night she would sleep next to her mother, but after her mother would fall asleep, she would study at night. Fearing that the noise of turning the pages would awaken her mother, she would slide the book under the futon, turn the page, and then bring the book back out to study. She stated that although this inclination to study could be thought of as something worthy of praise, she realized that it was the karmic act of sending her to hell. Girls who had worse grades than she were going to the women's high school. Because her family was poor, she was not able to go on to high school. She realized that she had been motivated to study because she was miserable about not being able to go on to high school, and now wanted to win over the others who did go. In the last days of her life, she realized that that was the karmic act of sending her to hell. As she discovered the self that is destined to fall into hell, she met the heart of the Buddha, within which she was embraced. She was illuminated by the light of the Buddha's wisdom, even as to her past actions. Finally, she said to me, Thank you for coming all the way out to see me this time, but you need not come after today. The next time I will need your help will be when my father comes to receive my death certificate from you. Could these be the words of a twenty-eight-year-old woman? They resembled the words of a samurai warrior. Although a few days before this she had faced her death with great anxiety, now she did not appear at all afraid, and she was very composed. With her thin and frail fingers, she then pulled a purse out from underneath her bed covers and began to pay me for her injections and my medical visits. I felt terribly sorry for her and told her that I could not accept the money. She told me that if I didn't take it, she would not be able to die with peace of mind. Tearfully, I received the money from her and returned home. Three days later, her father came to see me about the death certificate. He said that all of her listening to the teachings as a child were not meaningless. In her last moments, she returned to the pure land like a blossoming flower. But even now, she lives on in my heart. This has been an excerpt from Awaken to Your True Self by Hideo Yonezawa an audiobook published by the Buddhist Education Center and available now on Amazon and Audible. Namo Amidabutsu, Namo Amidabutsu, Namo Amidabutsu, Namandabutsu, Namandabutsu, Namandabutsu. Today's program was presented and produced by 
the Buddhist Education Center of Orange County Buddhist Church. This podcast is copyrighted 2023 by the Orange County Buddhist Church, Anaheim, California, all rights reserved.